0: Jesus was astonished, amazed. So far in Mark, we've witnessed people marveling at Jesus, astonished by his teaching, amazed at his miracles. The disciples marveled when Jesus stilled the storm. The inhabitants of the Decapolis marveled when Jesus healed the man possessed by an army of demons. The crowd marveled when Jesus healed the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Jairus and his wife marvel when Jesus raised their 12-year-old daughter from the dead, but now Jesus marvels. He is astonished at unbelief, amazed at the lack of faith in Nazareth. After all, this was his hometown. These were people he knew, many of them, for most of his life. Jesus and his disciples had been in and around the city of Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee when he decides to travel 25 miles southwest to his hometown. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David, but he grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth was a small village on a rocky hillside. At most, 500 people called Nazareth home, and that's like the size of Bolton or Bentonia. In a town like that, everybody knows everybody, and everybody knows everybody's business. Well, in Nazareth, on the Sabbath, Jesus and his disciples entered the synagogue. They enter the heart of the Jewish community, the place of worship, and Jesus teaches. Now, it may seem a little strange that the local rabbi is not the one teaching on the Sabbath, but any Jewish male could speak in the synagogue. In chapter 1, Jesus taught in the synagogue in Capernaum, and there they marveled at him. But here the reception was different. They were certainly astonished at Jesus, but not in a positive sense. They were astonished and offended. Listen again to the questions that they ask after being taught by this hometown boy Where did this man get these things? Now notice they don't call him by name, not once. Even though they knew him, they refer to him as this man. Where did he get this wisdom? They knew he was not educated. He didn't go to Belhaven. He didn't go to RTS. How are such mighty works done by his hands? In other words, how is this man healing people? How is he making them whole and simply by his touch? Now, they knew that he worked with his hands, as seen in the next question that they ask Is not this the carpenter? They knew him as a tradesman, working with wood and and probably stone. How could those same hands heal like he does? And don't we know his family? Isn't this Mary's son? Now, this reference to Mary is meant to be derisive. Jews were identified with their fathers, not their mothers. Jesus should have been known by Mary's husband, Joseph. Joseph served as his earthly father. Perhaps Joseph was already dead at this time. That's a possible reason for the reference. But more than likely, calling him son of Mary is at least disrespectful. And it may insinuate that Jesus was illegitimate. Isn't this Mary's son? Don't we know his brothers, James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Don't don't his sisters still live here among us? In in, in other words, we know this man. He's one of us. And so they took offense at Jesus. Jesus. They took offense at his teaching, at his healing. Now, the Greek word translated offense is the verb form of scandalon. It's where we get our word scandal. That literally means stumbling block. And for those in Nazareth, Jesus was a scandal. Jesus was a stumbling block. And their problem was familiarity. They knew him. They knew his mama, they knew his brothers and sisters, they knew his work, they had watched him grow up. They just could not accept him as more than a carpenter, more than Mary's son, more than one of them. But he was, and he is. The son of Mary, this carpenter who grew up in the middle of nowhere is God, Jesus is God. He is God. Come to you so that you might know him, so that you might know his heart. Jesus is the eternal Son of God who took on flesh in Mary's womb. He was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth, and he suffered and died, although innocent. He died the death of a criminal, the death of an enemy of the state, a public and humiliating death nailed to a cross, and it is in His suffering and death that you can know God's heart for you. And it's a heart of love, perfect love, sacrificial love, selfless love, a love that was willing to die for you, in your place, for your sin. Now because of your sin, because of your disobedience to God, you're lost. Dead. But in Jesus Christ, God seeks you out. He comes to you as you are in person. He finds you and He dies so you can live, so that you can live here and now, but also so that you can live forever, eternally with Him. This is the love God has for you. This is what Jesus has done for you, and it's good news. It's gospel but he's still a stumbling block. He's still a scandal. He still causes offense. And sometimes, like Nazareth, the problem is familiarity. And the story is known, the life of Jesus is known. I mean, you, you, you grew up in the church hearing it, your family taught it, you heard it in school. His teachings, his birth, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. You, you've heard it, you, you know it, but hearing the good news is not the same as believing it. Hearing it is not the same as receiving it, as claiming it. Knowing it is not the same as being transformed by it. Awareness does not necessarily lead to obedience. Now, our Old Testament reading this morning was from 2 Kings. Centuries before Jesus, Ahaz was king. He was king of Judah, king over God's people. Ahaz knew the mighty works of the Lord. Ahaz heard about God creating all things out of nothing. He knew about the call to Abraham and the promises given to Abraham. He'd heard about God freeing his people from bondage in Egypt, how he brought them to the promised land. Ahaz was familiar, but hearing it's not the same as believing it receiving it. Knowing is not the same as being transformed by it. Awareness does not necessarily lead to obedience. During Ahaz's reign, God's people were attacked by the neighboring country of Syria. And instead of looking to the Lord for help, Ahaz looked to the world superpower, the nation with the greatest military might. Ahaz looked to Assyria. Ahaz asked Assyria to rescue him from Syria. Now this, this request for aid is also accompanied by silver and gold taken from the temple and palace. But in response, this request. The king of Assyria marched against Syria, captured the capital city Damascus, killed the king, and exiled its people. Well, Ahaz travels to Damascus to greet the conquering king, to thank him, and while he's there, he notices the altar that the Syrians used to worship their gods, the altar that they used to sacrifice to their idols. And he sends the pattern, the dimensions, the measurements of this altar to Uriah the priest in Jerusalem. Ahaz wants an exact copy of that altar constructed. And when he returns, Ahaz places this altar in the temple, in the temple of the Lord. And he sacrifices on it. And he orders sacrifices to be made on it daily to idols, to false gods there in the temple of the Lord. Well, 2 Chronicles chapter 28, 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 23, gives the reason why Ahaz did this. Listen to that verse. It's 2 Chronicles 28, 23. It says, for he, Ahaz, sacrificed the gods of Damascus that had defeated him and said, because the gods of the king of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. Well, Ahaz knew. Ahaz heard. Ahaz was was familiar, but he didn't believe. He wasn't transformed. He didn't obey. And so he looked elsewhere for salvation. He looked to the idols of the nations around him. And verse 23 of 2 Chronicles 28 ends with these words. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. Perhaps Jesus is familiar to you. You've heard. You know. Don't look elsewhere. Believe. Have faith in the Son of God who loves you who gives you life abundant life eternal life follow him obey him other other paths other roads that you may take only lead to dead idols and ruin and Nazareth took offense at Jesus. He could do no mighty work there, and Jesus marveled. Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. So he left his hometown, rejected by his hometown, and he goes teaching among the other villages nearby. And then we're told he called the 12, his 12 chosen disciples, his closest followers, the apostles, he calls them and he sends them out, two by two. At this point in the gospel, this is a little surprising. I mean, are, these, are these guys really ready to go out on their own? Are they really prepared to be sent out on their own? Because so far, their record's not great. So far, they've misunderstood Jesus, become frustrated with Jesus. At times, they don't seem to get Jesus or, or what he's about, but Jesus sends them anyway, two by two. He sends them in his name, and he sends them to preach, to preach repentance, which is turning. Repentance is turning to God. Repentance is turning from sin. It's turning from going your own way to following God. Repentance and faith, they're like two sides of the same coin. Because when you believe, when you place your faith in Jesus, you turn to Him, you receive life in Him, you follow Him. And turning to Him means that you turn from sin, your sin. You turn from going your own way, making your own path to His. Jesus sends them to preach. And He sends them with power. He sends them with authority to cast out demons to heal. And He sends them with instructions First, they're to take nothing. They're to take nothing, no food, no bag, no money, not even a change of clothes. Jesus tells them, take only a staff, only the shoes on their feet and the clothes on their back. In this mission, they were to rely on the Lord. They were to rest in divine providence for their needs. The Lord would provide daily bread. The Lord would provide them shelter. And he would do so through the generosity of his people. Jesus tells them that when they are invited to stay in a home, to remain there. In other words, don't leave your host if you get a better offer. (laughs) Don't offend the generosity of the host for a nicer place to stay. Jesus says, remain where you are. And he also tells them if they were rejected, if they entered a town and they were not received, Jesus tells them to leave, to shake the dust off their feet and leave. And when Jews re entered Israel after traveling to a foreign land, they were to shake off the dust so that the Holy Land would not be polluted. And this, this action, the this shaking off the dust, also symbolized judgment judgment on those outside of God, judgment on the pagan nations outside. Rejection of Jesus leads to judgment. Now, when you become a disciple, when you follow Jesus, he sends you, and not necessarily to the ends of the earth, although he could, although he could. But nonetheless, he sends you and he sends you in his name. Wherever you go, you go in the name of Jesus. Your home, your place of work, school, Kroger, Oxford, Starkville, you represent Jesus. Now don't worry, you're, you're, you're not sent like these disciples and you don't, you don't have to preach, you don't have to cast out demons, you don't have to heal, but Jesus sends you as a witness to show his love, his selfless love, his sacrificial love, the love that he has for you. Jesus sends you to show a life transformed by him, obedient to him. Show it through kindness, patience, patience, and joy and peace and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control control. And, and, and those around you, those seeing you, may ask why? How? And you can point them to Jesus. You can point them to your Savior. You can invite them to church with you. To hear the gospel there. And you can pray. Pray. Pray that those around you may marvel at the Son of God. Jesus sends you. You might not feel ready. You might not feel prepared, but neither were these disciples. Yet they obeyed, and so must we. We must obey our Savior, but we can rely on him. Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God, Son of Mary, A stumbling block to some. Rock of salvation for those who believe. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi.